97% of salespeople are missing this one thing that if they only knew it would allow them to close 75% more sales. It has nothing to do with charisma, the gift of gab, or whatever else you've been told. Because if you're trying to convince your customer, that means they don't want to buy, which means you've already lost the sale. What sales professionals do is sell customers exactly what they want to buy. They work with the customer to uncover their current challenges, the consequences of those challenges, and how that's impacting them. They then help the prospect describe the ideal solution to their problems, what that looks like, and how that perfect outcome will impact them. And once they can picture that perfect outcome, price is irrelevant. That's right. Sales professionals sell customers exactly what they want to buy because it's easier dealing with a happy customer than dealing with a customer who felt sold. So here's the deal. I explain everything in my live two-day sales workshop, June 14th and 15th in my office. Go to closemoresales.com workshop and you'll be able to close more sales as soon as you get back. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. So we've got Jason Lewis with Investor Machine. And he flew in from Salt Lake City to talk about how he did 149 wholesales and flips last year, working five hours a week. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Trang, sales trainer for some of the top wholesalers in the country, and I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. Question I get all the time is how do I become one of the 100 millionaires? The information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become one in the next five to seven years. If you'll take consistent action, you will become one. If you want to get there faster, send me a DM on Instagram, and we'll see if we can help you get there a little bit faster. If you get value out of the show, please tag a friend below, share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. And before we jump into it, just a couple of quick uh, celebrations. We got Evan Gross, Jason Toledo, Solomon, Luma, John Kleisch, and Christopher Perez. Congratulations on winning the poker chips that we are sending to people for doing deals. And then this is a live show, guys. So please ask your questions for Jason to answer. You ready? Ready. All right. So the first question is, what got you into real estate? Great question. So my story is a little bit different. Um, I know a lot of people usually get into it. So I graduated in 2011, uh, 2011, 2012, with a degree in radiation therapy. So <laughs> Radiation therapy? Radiation therapy, yeah. All so right. I got back from my mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in November of 2008, which was like the bottom. So the name of the game at that point was security. So mm -hmm. I was like, okay, what's like the most secure thing I could possibly do? And I was like, well, cancer's not going anywhere. Yeah. So I picked that. So that uh, is stable. It's yes, quite stable. That said, I didn't take like enjoyment factor into account at all, and I hated it. I hated every day of school. Hated my clinicals. I used to look up at the clock, thinking the day was over, and it I hadn't even had lunch yet. So. Um, at this point, we just had our first son, uh, and I told my wife, hey, I know we just went through and did this school thing, but like, this isn't for me, so I'm gonna go pursue my passion now instead. So um, uh, I pursued, th there were two different things I pursued. One of them was real estate investing, and in 2011, 2012, real estate investors were a good deal harder to come by than they are, <laughs> than they are today. And so there was only one guy I knew that was doing real estate, so I, went into his office and hit him up for a job. And he told me no. I hit him up again for a job and he told me no again. And the third time, also no. So on the third time, I said, all right, here, here's my proposition. I'm gonna show up tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. And I'm just gonna keep showing up and I'm gonna do everything in my power to be worth something to you. And mm -hmm. if I ever become worth something, will you just pay me that? 
And he was like, well, I mean, I guess I can't say no to that. So I showed up every day for a free. free trial. I was a free trial. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, brand new baby told my wife, Hey, you know, degrees out, careers out. And you uh, quit your job. Uh, yes. And, uh, so, and I actually, at that point, I was a fairly recent graduate. I only had a, what's called PRN job because mm -hmm. I was still in the job hunt. So yeah, I told her, Hey, so new plan I'm working, just not getting paid. <laughs> so I have an awesome supportive wife. Yeah, uh, so, um, I did that for 30 days. Then at 30 days, I'd worked my way into the systems and everything enough that, uh, I was in, started as the guy getting lunch, ran CMAs on houses, things like that, became company owners, right-hand guy, COO, was there for five years. How uh, long did you go from, no, you're not eligible for a job, to being his right-hand person? Honestly, I was pretty much the right-hand guy pretty early on, like within the first year, because we were small. When, he, mm -hmm. at, when I started with him, he was flipping like a home a month, 12 homes a year. When I left, it was over 150 a year. We were doing big commercial deals, wow. things like that. Okay. So, all right. So you, you were there for five years. Five, five years. Yep. All right. And Grew up from small to big. So, what were all the different responsibilities that you had moving up the? It's not a corporate ladder, but moving up I, chain of command. I did everything that could be done in a flip wholesale business besides uh, construction. We had okay. a really good construction manager, but every, I mean, we started with listings being outsourced and then I got licensed and took the listings in-house and then overseed all the teams that was listing our flips. We had property management outsourced. I brought that in. Uh, I did all of the sales uh, and then oversaw all of the people doing sales, getting properties under, basically. Everything but construction. And I think one of the things is interesting, right? Because um, those of you guys that have been watching the show, you know, you guys are familiar, we talk about predictive index. And you're that odd duck like me. Yeah. An individualist. Uh, meaning, you know, you, you can drive, you don't want to deal with people, <laughs> you, you want people to uh, have a safe, uh, stable career. How can that person possibly sell? And you did, how did you do as a salesperson? I've always done quite well. Even in my own company where I was my own acquisition manager, I got basically, you know, if, if anybody sold to a real estate investor, they mm -hmm. sold to me. Now, I will say my acquisition managers now get deeper discounts than right. I did. So I don't, I wasn't the best at buying the best, deepest deals, mm -hmm. but I walked away with the contract. So can we talk a little bit about that? Because, you know, if you look at a lot of people that are starting, they want to hire someone that's a high D, high I on this profile. You would not have been eligible for hire. And I've said this Correct. before, like, because I'm also weird. I've taken the uh, DISC, uh, Meyer Briggs, the AVA, which is what Keller Williams was pushing for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And when I took the AVA, they actually said, like, there's literally no position that you fit in. <laughs> right? Your, pro your profile is so odd. You're, you don't fit in any of the boxes. Yeah, they, they do MPA or the KPA now, and then they show all the different roles, yeah. right? And anyone like agent, mega agent, yeah. leader of a team, any of the things Recruiter, that I do. Front desk. It's like, don't do not do that. Just you're, it's probably not for you. Yeah, you don't fit into the boxes. <laughs> so I would never have been eligible for hire if anyone knew what they were doing. Right, <laughs> right. And so you're in that same role too. Let's talk about how you were able to sell, seeing as how you're not supposed to be able to sell. Yeah. So, um, 
I will say that's a good question. What what is it about me that makes me able to sell? Um, I do social. consider I not social. That said, I do consider myself a people person. I am still overall fairly quick to connect, mm-hmm. uh, and I do care a lot about people. But just you know, relationships are more about a purpose than they are like I don't I don't individually have social needs. Mm-hmm. Like if you lock me in a room by myself for a week, I'm going to come out feeling like a million bucks and having conquered the world. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, But that said, I still, you know, can connect with and do well with, with people. And I'm also, and I will say when it comes to predictive index and all of that stuff, it's good. It's, it's important. I, I do all of my hiring based off for predictive index as well, but it is not the end all Mm -hmm. people can adapt and be and do whatever they want to do and i mean in in predictive index sometimes you'll see this is like your resting state and this is uh what you're doing day to day like i've had mine where i look straight maverick Mm -hmm. um in terms of like who i'm adapting to be to be the person that i need to be but then this is my natural resting state so you know they say people are more likely to burn out if they're out of their natural resting state for a little bit but like the desire to win and accomplish and make the goal and you know achieve your goals overcomes all things personality right. in my opinion and one thing that you talked about is you kind of help this business grow from 12 a year to 150 so more than 10x yeah as an integrator correct but you're not integrated today i uh, so in the creation utah company i sit in the visionary and the integrator seat in okay. the investor machine uh I sit with Mike in visionary seat and then we have an integrator. And I will say I do some integrating as well, but I have like an actual integrator in that company. So I'm curious, you know, like you were an integrator, you were happy at that company? Uh Uh-huh, for the most part. So then there must've been something that prompted you as an integrator to say, you know what, I wanna create my own vision versus saying an integrator. Cause like, again, we talked about earlier with our profile, we can be an integrator or we can be a visionary. Mm-hmm. Something prompted you to want to be a visionary. Yeah. For me, it actually wasn't as much about visionary and integrator as much as it was about work-life balance. Okay. So kids numbers four and five were on the way in five years uh, for my <laughs> wife and I. So oldest was five and kids number four and five were on the way. And the rate at which we were growing and everything else, it was like, I, I can't have the work-life balance that I need to here and be who and what I need to at home so that was so it actually wasn't it wasn't i I wanted to work there for forever but i just couldn't figure out a way to make those two things come together logistically just didn't work right right okay and so you worked there you did everything including working with a listing team and a property management team what was like the transition away from working at a company that you built up to now you're on your own uh it was hard it was, you know, you ask a lot of people about, you know, highs and lows. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a low. Cause like I put my heart and soul into that company mm-hmm. and like, it was my family. Like I cared a lot about the people. So leaving was hard. That said, um, so the transition itself and getting going, uh, fortunate, I had the advantage of, I had done this before just yeah. with somebody else's money. Um, <laughs> and so while I didn't set up a very similar business, that business was much more about networking MLS deals, buying homes from home wholesalers and flips. And I wanted to be a wholesaler 
marketing type of company, but I still understood overall enough of the, the basics and everything else that, I mean, right out the gates, I took Brent Daniels TTP course mm -hmm. and, uh, I started sending mail and, uh, got good results fairly quickly from, from both of them and was able to hit that glorious phase of reinvesting profits within my first couple months. Couple months. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I was, I started in September and I think I was profitable in October. Wow. So what was more stressful, quitting your radiation job or quitting that company? That company by far. Not even. Okay. Quitting the radiation therapy job was honestly exciting uh, because it was like, hey, I can actually like what I'm doing mm -hmm. every day. And we had a couple of advantages, too, where I was living super frugal yeah. on, on very little. And so I didn't need to make a whole lot to be able to pay the bills. And we had some savings, so I had some runway mm -hmm. to go make some mistakes if I needed Got it. Would your wife agree with all that? I would say so. One of my wife's great strengths is like, she has a lot of faith and trust yeah. in me. Like she's like, if, if Jason thinks he can do it, he can do it. And I, <laughs> I believe in him. So That's awesome. she was, yeah, she was definitely most excited to have me leave the company where I was putting in crazy hours. Yeah. So when you say crazy hours, what, what kind of crazy hours are we talking about? Ah, uh, like 50, 60 hours. Okay. And then I think once what's really cool, right? Because the first five years is you, you're working on somebody else and you were working crazy hours, but were you doing well financially? Uh, yeah. So uh, one thing that we have a lot of people say, you know, how do I get started this and that? And one of the things I say is, you know, you can sign up for coaching and mentoring, whatever, but if you haven't done a deal yet, learn using someone else's money, mm -hmm. go work on someone else's team. Right. I, I think it's a very underrated way to get started yeah. in this space. And sure. you can grow. You can get trained. Mm -hmm. You're not risking anything. You have less upside, but you have no downside. Right. I will say if I had my five years to do over again at that company and I was told you have to do it again, but you can't get paid. You have to go figure out getting student loans like you have to work that five years entirely for free. Mm -hmm. I would 100 percent do it again. Yeah. Looking back. Yeah. So because I mean, if you think about it, a doctor goes into how much debt pays all that stuff. And, you know, doctors don't make what a lot of wholesalers and real estate investors make. Like the no. education's valuable. Yeah. And they're working 70, 80 hours a week. Right. Making like 40 to 80,000 a year in their first two or three years of residency. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm complaining about my work-life balance. <laughs> I've got nothing on a doctor going through residency. Yeah. All right, so you're profitable right off the bat, and this is Creation Utah. This is Creation Utah. So Creation Utah, this is like, what, 2017? Yep, so I started September 2017. Okay, so, and then you said the first month was profitable, and it's been like the wind behind your back the whole time, or like what were... <laughs> I mean, fortunately, we were talking about this before, you know, I, 2012 was, or yeah, 2012 overall was a pretty good time to start in this, right? Yeah. Like the, the wave has been moving up this entire time. So I will say, you know, year over year, quarter over quarter, continued growth. Mm -hmm. uh, that said, definitely ups and downs along the way. Yeah. So what were some of the uh, ups or some of the downs? So, I mean, I would say, I, like a lot of business owners, I run a pretty common cycle of, you know, I go work on systems, processes, I work on marketing, I work on sales and everything else, and then it works. And then I get a whole bunch of leads and I'm focused on the leads. And then 
Uh, and this was, I would say this was earlier on. Then you get focused on the leads, the marketing, the systems, the processes fall off, and then pretty soon you don't have any leads and you keep running through that cycle. Yeah, it's this um, kind of this roller coaster. Right. Yeah. So my first year was definitely marked with plenty of that. Yeah. And I think that's every solopreneur, right? Uh, so Brian Buffini is, you know, you're, you're and I are both licensed realtors, yep. right? So I remember uh, Brian Buffini talks about like, you know, this, this is the evolution of every person that works for themselves. And the only difference is as you grow, it's just it, the ups are higher <laughs> and the lows are not as low. Right. But the swings are bigger. Yes. Right. Yeah. Which is also stress that no one ever else talks about. Absolutely. Yeah. So because as much it's even though you may not be going into losing money, it still feels like a strong perceived loss. Right. Well, you know, in one month you make 200 and the month next month you make 80. You start increasing your expenses to line up with the 200. <laughs> yeah. The expenses don't go down as the right. revenue goes down. Right. Yeah. Okay. So then, um, so you got this roller coaster because you're working by yourself. So then how did you re fix that? Uh, staff. So, uh, I mean, it started with a virtual assistant, as you know, mm -hmm. I'm a fan of virtual assistants. And then yeah. I continued to add people and automate processes so that they happened without me. So, you know, even though I'm busy in my first year, you know, working sellers, things like that. There's somebody in charge of making sure that the mail still goes out. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, you know, we've got KPIs starting to come in, making sure the phone's getting answered every time uh, it rings. And all of those key fundamentals that need to happen to keep a business running, I started to get someone besides me in charge of them and the KPIs where I can look and consistently see, okay, are all of these numbers on track? Got it. So you hire VAs to start doing all this. When did you... Uh um, start pulling data from the counties and so on? Great question. So um, when, I, when I first got started, so uh, 20, in 2017, even 2018, all I really had to do to get a good result mail-wise was I went to list source. I pulled, you know, it started with, I think, the absentee equity. And then, you know, I, I, I continued to grow. Like, I, you know, I kept getting good results, so it's like, well, let's see how much more we can spend and keep getting good results. I reached the point where I was like, okay, I've got the equity list. Mm -hmm. Now, um, in, my, in my favorite markets and year built and everything else. But then I started to see a diminishing return based on that because the markets continued to tighten ever since I've been doing this. You have less deals, more competition. Um, and so at that point, it was like, okay, I've got to start getting more creative on mm -hmm. how I do this. And that's when I started having virtual assistants going straight to the county and pulling. Cause you know, I started by going on to like your Rebo gateways and your list source and pulling lists. But you know what I would say, uh, one of my strengths is I, I like to inspect things. I don't just naturally, like if someone says something's true initially, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go prove real quick why that's not true. So I kind of <laughs> did that with like, you know, so you're skeptical by nature. Yes. All right. Um, so, um, you know, I get a list of notice of defaults from ListSource or Rebo Gateway, and I say, okay, well, I'm going to go look and see what's actually recorded at the county to see, you know, what do these look like in real life? And it's like, this one's nine months old, this one's six months old, this one never even happened, this one. And I was like, well, how do I get, like, a notice of defaults that just happened? And, all, and so I figured out that really the only true source is direct to the source, which is at the county. So I right. started paying virtual assistants to go log into all of the counties and pull that information directly. And when did you start doing this? I would say I probably started close to like end of 2018 is when I okay. started doing that. 
So really, in the grand scheme of things, not that long ago. I mean, it's coming up in three years, but it's still fairly recent. Right. 2018. My, my whole doing it on my own real estate career is fairly recent. I mean, I started <laughs> September 2018 or yeah. 2017. Yeah. It's, it's, but it's kind of bonkers to think about because of everything you've accomplished. Right. Thanks. So you start having VAs pull it and then you start mailing to this list or what did you do, do with <laughs> this data? Mailing and cold calling at the time. Texting okay. didn't exist then. <laughs> and so you start mailing and cold calling this list versus the list source and whatever. How did your results uh, change? Uh, improved significantly. Um, and I, 2019 was the big year where I really realized the value of this. You know, I had pulled the big bulk list uh, as well as I had pulled the individual motivation points plus driving for dollars leads and things like that and found that of my list-based closings, 80% of them came from either direct VA polls and or driving for dollars. And I was like, wow, that lined up really well with the 80-20 rule. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, because 80% of my results came from like, it, it wasn't quite as low as 20% of my overall list, but I was like, you know, this is the stuff that But this really is works. the best bang for the buck. Right. Right. And so what did you do with that information? So, uh, so what started next, uh, I had a friend, Stephen Williams, mm -hmm. uh, investor in the Bay Area, who was like, hey, I can see you've got a good thing going. He and I had actually worked together in Utah initially. Um, and then, so I started doing the same thing for him. And he got really good results as well. And I was like, oh, well, if I can do this in the Bay Area, I bet I could do this most anywhere. Mm -hmm. So picked up a few other people that I was helping and then a few more that we were helping in Dallas. And then finally, uh, January of 2020 is when I officially rolled out investor machine with, uh, Mike Hambright. Yeah. And it's interesting cause I joined collective genius. I want to say April of 2020. Okay. And I was like, I watched your presentation cause you were one of the top presentations at one of the events. I think the March event. So I was like, okay, well I just joined. Let me go watch the previous presentations. I watched you. I was like, man, that's a really cool idea. And so I was like, I better reach out to that guy at some point. I didn't, <laughs> not, at least not then. Um, so again, not that long ago, right? So what is some of the success that you've seen other people have with Investor Machine? So what, so January, 2020, I think we had four, five, six people. Today we've got 116 members wow. uh, all over the nation. And by and large, like results are awesome. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're building their list for them based on the virtual assistants pulling directly from the county, as well as we actually score the entire um, county. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess it was your team that did it. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, but so we will go and we'll score every aspect of the property, the zip code, year built, year zone, equity, everything. We score them all on a scale of one to five based off of what's your ideal. Um, you know, what's the ideal investor property? Then we layer in the motivation points on top of that. And what you wind up with is a list from best property, best seller, the very first person you'd want to market to, all the way down to worst property, worst seller, the very last person you'd want to market to, which in Maricopa County is what, 8 million? Uh, I think we have 8 million 5 people? million people, not Maricopa County, Maricopa and Pinnell. Okay. Right. So Phoenix metropolitan area. It's five million. It's five million. Yeah. yeah. So and so basically, we take that five million people worth of houses and sort it from the first one you'd want to hit to the last one you'd want to hit. Of five million. Yeah. And then obviously you're not going to make it past the top. I mean, here you're not going to make it past the top two or three percent. There's other right. markets where you may make it ten, twenty, thirty percent in. 
um, and then we actually run the mail for you. Yeah. Um, and we've got and we've got all sorts of cool things that we do mail wise, which is higher level than what you're, most people are doing traditionally on their own. And really, one of the things that we prevent as well is that same cycle that I was talking about. The account managers are awesome. They make sure mail goes out every month and the phone is ringing. Mail hits same day of every week of every month. Uh, and it, it's consistent. It runs like cl clockwork. Um, yeah, we got it. It's cool. So the results overall have been really good. I mean, when you were just on stage with uh, Eric Brewer, uh, he said for every dollar he was spending, he was getting $7 back. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, in his market, which is, is great. It's exactly what I like to hear. So going back to yours, right, 149 transactions, wholesales and flips last year. Mm -hmm. What percentage of you would you guess came from or estimate came from Investor Machine? So I know for that one this year, it's like 70 or 80 percent of my overall revenue has come from Investor Machine. Wow. So this year, I've, you know, different things. Uh, one thing I say all the time, the only way to have a stable real estate business is to have multiple strong marketing channels. Mm -hmm. Right. And multiples because. I constantly have things that, you know, this one's up, then this one's down and this one's up and this one's down. This year, my investor machine has been l definitely leading the way. Yeah. Last year, I was probably closer to 40% mm -hmm. of my overall deals, but that's because I had a rockin' relationship year last year yeah. uh, where everything we were doing with networking, relationships, getting properties off the MLS, co-wholesales, things like that was working really well. And then starting January of this year, you know, I, I always think the market's like as hot as it can get, but starting January of this year, Utah hit just like crazy hot and yeah. crazy low inventory. And because of that, it, everybody was kind of holding onto their inventory. Like the person that would usually co-wholesale with me mm -hmm. wasn't anymore. Cause they would just flip anything they could get. Yeah. Um, and so, um, that said, my income has remained solid because investor machine picked up where, uh, the relationship slowed down. There's something I want to hit on because we didn't, uh, I remember you, you and I had a private conversation about this, right? And everyone says they're good at dispositioning. Right. And you say, well, how good are you? And there's an actual way we can measure this. Right. Okay. So yes, that, that's one thing that I found. Everybody in real estate says they're good at dispositioning. Well, oh, every, I can make one call and I can sell this property anytime, right? No big deal. I'm great at this. But here's my question. Now I want you to sell that property at pick a number, 80, 90, 100% of ARV. And then I want you to tell me that you're good at disposition still. Yeah. Earlier this year when the market was hot, we were averaging over 100% of ARV. We had a month where we averaged over 100% of ARV. So like the property hasn't been rehabbed yet. You still have to, uh, you know, they still have to buy it, put all the rehabs in, cover holding costs, selling costs and profit, but we were still selling for more than what we were projecting we were going to sell it for after we had, um, after we had flipped it. Yeah. We're not that good anymore. Market has definitely scaled back some, but we still are sitting above 80% of ARV is what we're wholesaling for. Yeah. So that's, a, in my opinion, that's a rarely tracked number in your mm -hmm. business that everybody should track. Well, I think, yeah, we're going to score a disposition. Right. Because uh, one thing we track a lot is like how many new contacts did you make? How many new relationships did you make? How many people that we've sold to are you talking to per week? Right. Those are the KPIs we're tracking. Mm -hmm. But you brought that up. It's like, oh, maybe we should also track what percentage of ARV are we selling for? Because in the end, that's what matters. You can talk to people mm -hmm. until you're blue in the face. But what's that's those are all great lead indicators. But the lag indicator is 
what what percent of ARV are you selling for? You can right. also track it as what percent of ARV minus repairs. Mm -hmm. That's probably a more accurate number, you know, because if you sell a light remodel and you know, versus a heavy remodel next to each other, it's going to throw off your numbers. For but sure. AR, but ARV minus repairs is also intensely subjective. Yeah. ARV in and of itself is subjective, and then you add in the repairs, it gets that much more subjective. I mean. When I have people fill out my offer form, I actually ask them, what do you think is the ARV on this house and how much would repairs be? And the variation in the numbers of people that the offer- The homeowners or the buyers? Wholesale buyers. Okay. So if I send out a wholesale contract, a wholesale buyer will go through and say, um, you know, this is what I think the repairs would be, this is what I think ARV. I'll be a hundred grand different between the highest one and the lowest. Like one person will say 400, one person will say 300, one person will say 80 in repairs, one person will say 12, right? <laughs> like the, those, those numbers are decently subjective for sure. Yeah. Um, well, I, but I like the, you know, everyone thinks they're good at this book because one of the challenges myself, right, as a sales trainer, every salesperson I talk to believes they're great at sales. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and so for you, you're saying everyone thinks they're good at dispositions but are we really scoring the right metric? And I think once we measure, once we measure what their actual percentage of dispo or dispo price versus ARV, we're going to find out how good you really are. So what's your favorite metric for sales? My favorite metric for sales? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the one that we are always harping on is really, and maybe this doesn't translate necessarily uh, the best, but actual first appointments. And I think that's something that not a lot of people track. Um, and the reason why is because if you ask a salesperson how many appointments you went on, they will count all the ones that were a second, third, and fourth appointment. <laughs> okay. Right? right? They'll count every follow-up appointment as an appointment. It's like, no, I don't care about second, third, and fourth. How many opportunities did you have last? Like, how many real legitimate opportunities did you have last week? And so we measure AFAs, and we're always tracking AFAs, uh, so actual first appointments, to held appointments. Got it. Those are the things that we're always tracking on, because that tells us the lead quality and so on. Doesn't tie the closest right to to revenue right contracts and appointments those those will be more but those are the ones i'm always always fighting with the team i was like are we are we actually measuring this because this tells us how much more marketing or less marketing we need to do makes sense yeah that's cool so the other thing too i want to talk about uh well actually before we go into that so 80 percent of your deals this year are coming from investment machine leads mm-hmm as far and as i would want to have my kpi sheet up to tell you exactly it's 70 80 percent in there Okay, but percentage of the revenue. So then let's talk about actually marketing to it. Um, are you getting most of your business from direct mail, calling, or other forms of marketing that are not as compliant? <laughs> <laughs> um, all of the above. <laughs> uh, I do not do RVM. Okay. Uh, I don't have any interest personally in RVM. I feel like, you know, you have gray and you have more black. I consider RVM to be more black. Definitely more people have gotten in trouble for that one. Right. Uh, so uh, what percentage would you say direct mail is bringing to revenue? Mm, good question. I would say, um, again, it varies a lot quarter to quarter. Mm -hmm. the, with, with, the, with the up and down, I think my first two years direct mail was probably like probably 60, 70% of my overall business. Mm -hmm. um, I would say of that, oh, it's probably... 40, 50% now. Yeah. But it also has to do with the amount I'm spending as well, because I'm actually spending less on direct mail than I am on those other channels. Is there a reason why? Um, I will say uh, no. 
there's not really good reason other than like you know i continue to bring on great salespeople mm -hmm. and i continue to pay them and i continue to pay them well and i've got that ship just like rolling yeah uh and i'm continuing to turn it it's actually different than it is for most people like for most people direct mail is much easier to turn up the dial you just right. turn it up but like it's almost like you know these other channels just like continue to naturally grow and continue to produce a really good return and everything else and people continue to come in and so it just like naturally grew and i just need to crank up the other dial as yeah, well because that's one of the things that we're going to be focusing on is we're going to start doing more direct mail right we've had such success with direct mail we're going to turn the knob on even more and it's actually kind of funny because i told you you know like we did our first deal and i think we said you know in our first drop we we got two deals and it was uh, i want to say 70k in revenue and your first thing that said you said to maxim he's like stop right there <laughs> i want you guys to know that's not normal <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> right but it's been it's it's continued direct mail has continued to be great for us because everyone else is still texting right right and we stopped texting uh just you know kind of for us it's that same thing right like the gray that's definitely in the gray area mm -hmm. it's not black it's definitely in the gray so we stopped texting because we just didn't want to deal with any of that uh, so direct mail has definitely been great for us so yeah i i love direct mail i love the scalability of it i love you know the nature of inbound calls marketing um and i think that you know direct mail even more so than like ppc reflects on your sales process too mm -hmm. so i would say that's probably a lot of why it w works so well for you guys is you guys are rocking at sales sales process and everything yeah. else and the better you are at that better you are at lead management, the better you are at follow-ups, the better your acquisition managers are, the better the results you're going to get. Right. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting is you're a very big fan of MAPS coaching. True. And MAPS, for those of you guys who don't know, or why don't you share with everyone what MAPS is? So Ke Keller Williams, for their realtors, has a company called MAPS Coaching. Uh, Gary Keller took their best uh, coach, uh, one of their best coaches and started maps business coaching, mm -hmm. which is essentially all of the systems and processes of that make Keller Williams so successful and specifically their coaching company so successful. And then they take and apply that to uh, traditional um, businesses. Mm -hmm. But you're not a traditional realtor. So, so not traditional realtor. So maps coaching is for realtors. Mm -hmm. Maps business coaching is for everybody besides realtors. Got it. So, Maps Business Coaching does not coach any realtors. They Got only, to, to my understanding, um, they only coach like traditional businesses. So one thing that's really interesting is that you're a very big fan of personal development. You and I are both in Hero's Journey together. Darren, Darren Hardy. Hardy. That's Darren one both, thing we both have in common both, for sure. Darren Hardy nerds, insane productivity, uh, Hero's Journey. Which, by the way, I count my, I'm, when, when, I, when I first heard your Create 100 Millionaires thing, I was like, sounds like something influenced by by Darren. And I totally count myself as one of your millionaires because yeah. all the way up, uh, when, when I first started and was like, okay, I've done, you know, I don't necessarily want to do this exact same flip business. I got to go learn what I need to do. The podcast I listened to is Bigger Pockets, Wholesaling Inc., and Real Estate Disruptors. And this was the one that I never missed. So oh. I definitely, a huge part of my business came from your guests on here in real estate disruptors. Well, I appreciate that. I wish you were selling as much stuff then <laughs> as you are now. I would have been in and all of it and would have gotten even further faster. <laughs> yeah. So, but it, so it's really cool though, right? Cause like you, you and I are both really, you know, big on personal development, but what I find even, even more admirable is that you will pay to develop your people. hundred percent. So can you talk about that? Cause not everyone, like 
A, some people don't even want to pay for personal development. Like, why do I need this? Right? I can go do this on my own. And I was that ignorant person when I first started. Right? <laughs> it's like, why would I ever pay for someone? I could just learn on my own. You not only pay for your own personal development, but you pay for your teams. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of the best investment you can make is investing in yourself. Um, I, I try to spend as much money investing in myself as I can. And I, I usually get limited on time away from home and the family mm-hmm. before I do on money I'm willing to spend on personal improvement. Um, but, uh, yes. So all of my key top sales guys have their own individual maps sales coach. Yeah. So it's, it's called maps business coaching, but these are guys that are like masters of sales. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes they come from the realtor space. Like one of my guys, his coaches, the was top performing realtor in all of Florida, greater Orlando area, tons of sales training, everything else. And it's really cool to have somebody. And Darren talks about this all the time as well. Um, it's cool to have somebody telling them, here's what to do and holding you accountable, not named Jason. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's the familiarity effect. I'm continuing to tell people this. They don't, it, it doesn't have the same effect as hearing it from somebody else. Right. So I have gotten phenomenal return uh, on having weekly one-on-one sales coaching calls yeah. um, with, uh, with my people. Yeah, so it's totally admirable. The other thing I want to touch on as well is you and Casey Ryan mm-hmm. were on stage uh, not too long ago, six months ago, featured on stage to talk about running a profitable business. Mm-hmm. And my takeaway from watching both you speak and Casey speak, probably different than everyone else's takeaway. My takeaway was the guys that could run insanely profitable businesses are those that can sit in the divisionary role and the integrated role, because that's you and that's Casey. Now, I think it's kind of crazy to sit in both seats. Uh, I, I agree. It's something I'm working on getting out of. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, do you have any thoughts on, on that? It's interesting. Um, I think that, you know, oftentimes the person that is the company owner most of the time is going to do things to the highest level mm-hmm. because they, they you know, when, when it's your money, you care a lot about it. Right. Right. Um, and so I think that when that person is the visionary and when that person is the integrator, uh, it helps them. Uh, it, it means that the person that cares the most is doing that at the highest level. I think the other part of it is when you're the visionary and when you're the integrator, you know, there, there's there's difficulty sometimes that come from the visionary integrator relationship. Right. When you're just the visionary, you get to come up with infinite ideas. Right. And just tell the integrator, go do it, go do it, go do it, go do it. Mm -hmm. But when you're the visionary and the integrator, you come up with an idea and it's like, oh, do I really want to do that? (laughs) Um, And so I feel like we're probably a little bit more selective on the things that we say yes to. You know, again, to quote Darren from Exane Productivity, quoting Warren Buffett, you know, Warren Buffett said one of the greatest keys to his success was for every hundred great ideas that someone brings my way, I say no to ninety nine. Right. Right. So I think that being the visionary and integrator makes that a little bit easier because, you know, and even if you do want to do a bunch, you can only do you can only integrate so many things at a time. But because we can integrate, we do integrate well. Right. Those things that we do. So it's doing a few things excellently rather than doing a bunch of things. Uh, just OK. Um, and I apologize. I should allow everyone to understand further. Can you elaborate what a visionary and integrator are? Yes. So this comes from uh, the books Traction, Rocket Fuel, basically anything written by Gino Wickman. He's mm-hmm. kind of, correct me if I'm wrong, he's kind of the person that brings this to the place. So mm-hmm. the idea is, you know, 
people will oftentimes fall into one or the other. The visionary is the person who comes up with the ideas. Mm -hmm. The person who's always got the dreamer, always got a new idea, but not the person who's going to go actually make it happen. Mm -hmm. The integrator is the person who goes and actually makes it happen, but isn't necessarily the first one to come up with an idea. Yeah. So they're the one that execute the vision. Yep. But they're not a dreamer. And I think for all anyone listening here, people that are listening to this are more likely to be visionaries than integrators. True. Right. And I think the other thing and too even when we go to masterminds, I feel like it's probably eighty percent visionary more. or more yeah. and twenty percent integrator, unless the visionary brought their integrator. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um and I think the key here, right, is that there's hope for everyone that struggles in school. Right. Because if you struggled in school, probably a chance you were the visionary. Right. Right. So I think there's there's some saving grace there. But you can do okay if you did all right in school too. Well, yeah, you could definitely do all right if you did okay in school. But but a lot of people, yeah. And that's why you hear so many stories about the people, you know, some of the wealthiest people that didn't do as well in school. Yeah, if they were incredibly wealthy. or So it's not that doing poorly in school is an indicator of success. Right. But the most successful people in school, or the most successful people in life, financially at least, were not so good in school. Correct. Um, so then I guess if I were to, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, replicate your business, right? If I wanted to build a business where I was doing, I was doing just shy of 150, <laughs> 149. We were talking about that before. If I, if I would have seen that just a little bit earlier, I'd have done a deal for free to get to that 150 deal, <laughs> but 149 is good too. So mm-hmm. if I were to try to go today to do 149 transactions, mm-hmm. what bits of advice would you give to me? starting from just doing a deal or two uh, a month. So from small to big. Yeah. Okay. So um, first thing, find a marketing channel. Get really good at it. Um, One marketing channel. One marketing channel. Focus. I'm a big believer on master one marketing channel at a time. And ideally, a marketing channel that you can largely outsource someone else's expertise. Yeah. Right? So start with pay-per-click use a great pay-per-click company to run everything and then you master building the sales company. You know, it's funny as, you know, wholesalers and real estate investors now, people think that, you know, we're real estate investors, we're in real estate, we're living the HGTV life. Really, <laughs> for the most part, we just run sales and marketing companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so go build a really good version of your sales company that can be a really good funnel. Yeah. Once you have that one channel mastered, add another channel. Once you have that channel mastered, add another channel, add another channel. Along the way, uh, add key people. I'm a big believer in the importance of mastering the skill of hiring. So you said that most people think they're good at acquisitions. Most people think they're good at dispositions. Most people also think they're good at hiring. The data doesn't show any of those to be true. That is the biggest lie. If anyone thinks they're good at hiring, that's the biggest lie of all of them. Right. So when, when I first got started, um, uh, when, when I first la- left the other company, one thing, you know, you and I are both highly influenced by Darren Hardy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks about don't just learn for the sake of learning, learn to master a skill. Yeah. Right. He's got his like 10, 5, 12, 8, 6, 4 plan, whatever it's <laughs> called, uh, yeah. where he goes through and masters a skill. And so I decided I was going to do the same thing. And there were I felt like if there were three skills I could master, I could really grow and do well. The first one was setting goals. And my favorite book for that is by Darren Hardy. It's living your best year ever. Mm -hmm. The second one was setting habits. If you can figure out how to goal set really well, and then if you can figure out how to form habits around those goals, you can get a lot of the way there. 
Yeah. Uh, my favorite book for that is Atomic Habits. Uh, but then that's only going to get you so far. At some point, you're going to have to turn it over to other people. So my third um, skill that I wanted to master was specifically hiring. So Who the A Method of Hiring was my favorite first book for that. But since I've taken a bunch of trainings, you know. Who? I've, is that the book by Jeff Smart? Or is it, uh, it Yes, it's by, it is. It's by not Brad Smart, but his son. Yeah, Jeff Smart. Yeah. Jeff Smart, yep. Brad yeah. Smart is the top grader, top grading guy. Yep. His son, Jeff Smart, did Who the A Method. So, all right, so um, don't, you want to focus on sales and marketing mm -hmm. and then hiring, getting good at hiring. Right, so and, get and, really and good realize at that channel. it's an actual skill to get good at hiring. So I put, and, and try to have like a system and a process, you know, and, and, and try to have like an actual scorecard for hiring people. Like I'm looking, know in advance what you're looking for and then have a scorecard for how well people fit in with that thing that you're looking for. Get, your gut is powerful. Your gut's good, you know, but give it 20, 30 percent of the, the say yeah, of the weight and then everything else, everything else. And a lot of it for me as well. You know, I hire as much based off of cultural personality, predictive index, everything fit as I do past experience. Yeah, because, you know, especially in a wholesale company, there's no role in this company that I can't get somebody to pretty good at like to a, a more than sufficient in less than 30 days yeah you can teach all the skills yeah i and and if you know if you can teach the skills in less than 30 days you shouldn't be putting a super super heavy reliance on already knowing the skills you right. should be putting a much heavier reliance on the right person yeah and i think that's a, there's a, a lot of wisdom there that a lot of people kind of skip out on and i think the other thing you uh, i want to hit on because you, you mentioned this is that um the we are a sales and marketing business and everyone kind of forgets this, right? Like, you know, everyone says, I'm in the real estate business, I'm in the um, insurance business, whatever. It's like, no, we're all in the sales and marketing business. Mm -hmm. And a really cool thing right now, at least in our industry, is you don't even have to be a great marketer. You can outsource it. Right. right? There's, there's for, for every different way that you want to market, you've got somebody great at TV, you've got somebody great at pay-per-click, you've got somebody great at mail. Yeah. You just line up for those people. You just need to find the right people. Right. So and really, we need to have someone monitor the marketing, make sure that the, the, the vendors you're using are good, but really just sales management companies. Right. right? Yeah. So we just need to find We're, people that can handle the sales. Right. We need to go create a net to catch fish. Yeah. And not let any fish slip out that are throwing in the net, that are getting thrown in the net. Yeah. And I will say that was actually my biggest slower of growth in my first year was building out that net. I, I always, for, I think because of my, I wasn't naturally wired this way, but I think because of my past experience, as well as uh, working with Steven, I wasn't scared to spend money on marketing from the start. The thing that has slowed me down from the start is uh, just making sure I had a net to catch all the fish. So yeah. I put a lot of time, effort, and energy into making sure I, I build, that, build that net to make sure that the, all of the fish get caught. <laughs> And I think the one thing is that I'm glad we had this conversation because now I feel safer because the one thing I sell is sales training. Right. So if everyone has a sales business, then it's great that I have that one tool right. <laughs> that works and, for that. And I will say, I'm one of your clients. My acquisition managers love it. Awesome. Uh, we love your sales training. It's really good. Anybody considering it, I highly suggest you sign up for Steve's sales training. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, so one thing we talked about and introducing the show, we haven't talked much about it, is you spend less than five hours a week on your company. Mm -hmm. How is that possible? 
uh, really good. So let me let me rephrase that specifically. I spend less than five hours on my Utah company. Right. So most of my time goes into building, growing, perfecting investor machine, helping everybody like you uh, get the get the results that they're expecting. So I just set up really good systems, processes, and people to keep the results going. I mean, mail continues to happen because it's run through investor machine. I have somebody doing pay-per-click. I have, you know, training manuals. I have people in charge of making sure everything else is going like it's supposed to. And I see the KPIs every week that let me know, you know, hey, are we on track or are we starting to fall off? So then a lot of the right people in place. Mm -hmm. So then what are you doing for the five hours a week? Uh... Typically, it's what I just barely said. Uh, first, I do my so I run my whole company on the four disciplines of execution. Um, the, Great book, by the way, if you guys haven't heard of it. Yeah. So we do. Um, so the first is uh, I never miss scoreboard. We actually we were all in St. George for a company incentive doing a trip. It's mm -hmm. the first scoreboard meeting I've missed since twenty. Whenever I applied the book, which I think was probably twenty seventeen. So. Being at the scoreboard meeting, reviewing everyone's numbers, KPIs is one of them. Um, meeting, doing one-on-one -on -one meetings with key team members. And then I would say the other part of it is answering the, the random things that still come up that float to the top, which are growing increasingly smaller. That's great. And I will say, when I say the five hours is when I'm at, when everything is running smooth and at its best. <laughs> Anytime anything breaks, that number goes up because I'm... Again, still integrator person going in and fixing that. So there's no shortage of opportunities for me to travel the country. Everyone reaches out to me, hey, you wanna do this, you wanna do that, you wanna speak at this, you wanna present here. I believe that. You wanna join this program. And I say to them the same thing you said to me once, was I have an unlimited budget for most things, except for time away from my family. Mm -hmm. So how much is your budget for time away from your family? So I am in, uh, two masterminds, mm -hmm. Investor Fuel and Collective Genius. I'm a big fan believer in the power of masterminds. Anybody listening to this that's looking to grow their business that has at least a couple of deals under their belt, I highly suggest they join a mastermind. Yeah. And those are two excellent ones. So um, I would say I probably wind up taking a trip once a month to once every other month Yeah, is about my travel budget. And then do you have a strategy? Because I struggle with this, right? Is there a strategy for when you get in, when you leave? Uh, for events, yeah. <laughs> you, you know my answer. Uh, so the event starts at 9. I usually show up at about 9.30 because that's when the plane lands on Monday morning and the event ends at 1 and I usually am flying out at 2 or at 3. Right. And so I will say I miss of, out a morning of and then I leave right again because, because that means I can make one more event for sake of and, and you know, I don't want to make that sound worse than it is. The idea is I want to be my, you know, m the most important thing I do is being home with yeah. my wife, my kids, everything else. I want to keep that overall minimized. And with five little kids, it's a lot to leave uh, to my wife. So I do try to be back uh, mm -hmm. as quickly as I can. I mean, even today for this, I flew in for, I flew in now and I'm on my way uh, once we're, once we're done not spending the night. I think that's great. So if someone wanted to find out more about Investor Machine, where do they go? Uh, they're going to go to theinvestormachine.com slash Steve. Because Steve's here, uh, you get a buy one, get one market half off uh, because you're a uh, 
Steve Trang listener and you're listening to this podcast. So theinvestormachine.com slash Steve will get you a buy one, get one half off. If you just go to theinvestormachine.com, we're happy to have you there too. But then you have to pay full price for both markets. And when we say market, we essentially mean counties. We sell because we do, we're so county based and we do, you know, county logins and everything else. We sell it basically by the county. Right. And that's, that's where do. you can get a bunch more info. We get, and for us, we do Maricopa and Pinnell. Yep. All right. So um, you're obviously a sadist in some ways where you want to do more things. <laughs> so one thing you and I were talking about uh, many, many months ago, actually, was that there's one position that is the least appreciated, least loved, maybe most underrated position. Mm-hmm. What position is that? First, I want everyone listening to take their guess in the whole estate. <laughs> Obviously, we're not going to be able to hear back from you, but in a wholesale company, what's the answer? Because it, it hits better if you've guessed yourself. Mm. In my opinion, and in both of our opinion, uh, it is the lead manager. Yeah. The lead manager is the most overlooked position in a real estate investment company. Everybody puts all of this time, effort, and energy into the marketing. They put all this time, effort, and energy into cold colors and textures if they have them. They put all this time, effort, and energy into uh, um, their, yeah, their acquisitions, their dispositions, and then there's just this person there answering the phone. Half the time it's a VA and everything else. People don't give that person the credit, the attention, the training, anything else that they deserve. A lot of the times it's the VA. Yes. Not even like some of the times, a lot of the times it's the VA. Yes. So I'm sure you've been doing your research. Mm-hmm. Why do people do that? What, is the, what, do, you, what do you attribute it to? Uh, ease of hire. So it, it's, it's hard to get a quality local person. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's much easier to hire a VA to do the job. There's a couple of reasons why I believe that logic is flawed. And first off, I love VAs. A lot of people know me for being the guy that loves VAs. Mm-hmm. You know, Bill, Bill Gates says you can solve any problem in the world through technology. I believe you can solve any problem in the world through the right VA. Yeah. Which actually really isn't that true because I don't believe that you can solve lead management through a VA. Between the two companies, I have over 50 VAs. So like, love, I'm all in, love VAs. I do not have VAs as my lead managers and answering my inbound calls. Okay, so I'll give you a chance here to to make that argument because there are a lot of people that disagree with this. Okay. So what is your argument for that? So I have a couple. The first one comes from Austin McCurdy, uh, who is uh, works with Gary Harper, mm-hmm. Sharper, uh, the people that have brought PI here. Mm-hmm. Uh, love those guys. Highly suggest them too. So, you know, people struggle hiring acquisition managers as well because they're trying to hire someone directly as an acquisition manager. The best way, in my opinion, to hire an acquisition manager, especially as a smaller company, is to hire a lead manager who you can train up to be an acquisition manager. Mm -hmm. Much easier to hire. As hard as it is to hire a lead manager, it's even harder to hire an acquisition manager. Hire a lead manager who you can train up to be acquisition manager. I have one of my, my first acquisition manager, I did that exact process. Um, and he's still with me today and is still fantastic. So that's number one. Number two, this market's more competitive than ever. Uh, think about this. You're a seller. This industry. This industry. Yes. More yeah. competitive than ever. You're a seller. You've got, and let's say we'll pick paper. We'll, we'll pick mail. As good as investor machine is, we're not mailing people that no one else is mailing. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's selling you that, uh, <laughs> is if, if no one else is mailing them, there might be a reason, yeah. but you know, if that, that's great, we're really good at finding probates, notice of defaults, whatever. Mm-hmm. We're not the only ones that have, uh, that have that information. Yeah. So, um, it's going to be, you know, I mean, statistically, those people are way more likely to sell. They're still who you want to mail. But the problem is they've got a stack of postcards. Right. So if they call the first person, they, they're already 
50% sure you're a scam, right? Like the we buy houses signs, like people are already pretty sure that we're scams. Especially if it's inside of red. Yes, right. But like even postcards, people kind of assume the same thing, right? Yeah. Like real estate investor seeking trainee, 20 grand plus a year, like this whole industry, people are still convinced we're a scam, right? So if they call and you know, what they get is a voice that doesn't sound like someone local to them, like theory confirmed at this point, right? Mm-hmm. And sure, they're gonna hear them out, but, um, and you that know, they may- guard is really high. What's that? Their guard is really high. Their guard is incredible, and you can hear it. I mean, yeah. I, listen to the, I listen to the calls, you can hear guard is high, and uh, you know, sure, they can get the low hanging fruit, but in this market, you cannot afford to just get the low hanging fruit. Especially with how much money we spend on marketing. Right, and especially with the value of a closing mm-hmm. in what we do. So, um, so you know, you've got that base level, and then you get even, and then you get even better. You you want to be better too than just an appointment setter as well, because mm-hmm. the problem is if all you have is an appointment setter, uh, no problem has been solved here, right? So I call the first postcard. This person answers and says, "Okay, great. Uh, we're gonna come, you know, Tuesday at eight. Great. Okay, my problem is not solved at this point, and I have no faith in this person. You as a seller, your problem's not solved. That's the problem, right? Mm-hmm. And so they just keep calling through. Mm-hmm. So if you can get someone that can actually build rapport with the seller. Uh, and have them feel like their problem is solved, and that, and the type of person that's actually going to make sure that whatever the very first appointment the sailor possibly has is when the acquisition manager is going, you're going to get a far better return on your marketing than you are. Uh, so, I mean, really, like the thing that the first level of comp- the first layer of competition in the war, I guess, is really initially how do we do it our marketing, mm-hmm. right? What's your creative on your pay per click ad? What's your creative on the um, that's our first mailer. impression. That, that's your that's your very first impression, right? Very next impression is the lead manager, mm-hmm. and it's okay. Is this company as good as they say they are, or are they not? And we've done well at this. We've done not well at this. I was recently listening to a group of calls, and I actually heard a seller say, even to me, from my local lead manager, "Okay, I'm gonna go." Looking at your guys' postcard, I really thought you guys were the professionals. I thought you could help me. I was clearly wrong. I'm gonna go, <laughs> right? <laughs> Those phone calls horrible. Those phone calls hurt so bad when when you hear those phone calls and things like that, right? Right. So opportunity lost. That's not to say that that seller would have been our exact seller, right? But they very well could have been. You get five, ten of those in a row, uh, and you know, uh, you you've lost a deal or two, which far more than pays for the difference between an overseas lead manager and a local lead manager. Yeah, I mean, you could hire someone at four dollars an hour. Right. Or you could pay someone on commission right. that can close a deal. Right. And, you know, fortunately, I listened to this call and knew that this happened and can do additional training mm-hmm. with the lead manager who's the right person. But right. so many of us never listen to calls, never do any additional training. We just assume it's going until we randomly one day listen to a call and it's like, listen to a group of calls like, how did we get this far off? Yeah. I mean, again, I do sales training, hang my hat on sales training. And I listened to a call, I want to say like eight, nine months ago. I was like, are you guys serious? <laughs> right. He's not with our company anymore. But I was just thinking like, are you serious? Like, I train against this specific behavior. Right. Makes you feel like a t- total <laughs> fraud, right? Happened to me once where I uh, mailed, I, I, I mailed myself on a house, right? And I was so mad because like, there's no reason this house 
should have been mailed, right? It should have never come up. And I was like, I'm a fraud. I'm, I'm supposed to be the guy that's so good at data and everything else. And I was so mad. And I did a whole bunch of research into it and found out that I didn't pay my property taxes. <laughs> um, so then I, I paid my property taxes, right? But I know, I know that feeling of like, I'm the guy that people rely on for this and I can't even do it for myself. Yeah. Um, so because of all this, you and I, we collaborated many, many months ago mm -hmm. and we were doing a lead manager training. Mm -hmm. Now it's not out yet, but we're going to be doing this out come November 1st, mm -hmm. but we're only allowing a handful of people to sign up initially because we want to do it right. Mm -hmm. I've been a part, I've been a participant in too many programs where they were testing on us and I was not excited about that. Right. <laughs> so. Uh, we're only allowing 20 people to sign mm -hmm. up for our lead manager training program in November. So if you guys are interested in joining the wait list, uh, go to disruptors.com slash lead manager. And before we go into the questions for everybody else, uh, guys, we're giving away $10,000 uh, for our new podcast, Dis Disruptors Remarkable Influencers. If we were to do the drawing today, we would only you have a 1 in 20 chance of winning $10,000. <laughs> now, those 20 people... Up. Huh? <laughs> How do I sign up? I'm in. Yeah, so you just got to go to stevetrainmoney.com and you have a chance to win. I hope you win. I'm in. All right, so you just go to stevetrainmoney.com and you can enter to win your chance, enter to get a chance to win $10,000. We're going to be giving away $10,000. I'm surprised we don't have more people doing it. All right, so let's go to the questions. Boy, we got a lot. Well, while you're pulling them up, just a little more the sales training thing. I'm really excited. First okay. off, the, the two of us together, we're going to be able to do something awesome. The combination of Steve's sales training plus our systems behind is going to be awesome. Uh, yeah. Basically, the system that we have is it is a artificial intelligence software that will take and listen to all of your calls and then come back and give the seller a score and the lead manager a score. Because yeah. no business owner likes to go, I, I know it, there, there's little in this world that I like less than listening to every call that comes in, mm -hmm. right? Most of us don't do it. And even you know, uh, you know uh, even a lot of people won't even hire a VA to do it. They just don't let it happen. Mm -hmm. So the idea is we, we found a software solution. This software will listen to all your calls. It will give your lead manager a score. It will give your, and it will give the seller a score. So we, we got that far, but then we were like, that's okay. But just knowing what it is is one thing. Actually making the training happen, that's even more important. So yeah. that's where you come in with the excellent sales training to say, okay, here's, here's what everybody's calls look like. Here's what we want them to look like. And then we can tailor the software around listening to how well are you fitting in with the formula and um, answering questions like you should, asking questions like you should, and moving a call through and just like an easy, natural, just push button way to have your lead managers level up. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. I forgot to mention that is that we're actually using software <laughs> to diagnose the calls, right? You got right. AI listening to every single call, right? Whether it's CallRail, Salesforce, and Podio, or so smartphone. So it's right, right, right now the ones that we're live on is uh, CallRail uh, and soon to be LeftMain. Mm -hmm. um, but as, as people sign up, we'll add additional other, um, you know, based on how many people sign up for one, you know, if we've got a huge group of people that are on Ring Central, we'll add Ring Central next. So. Right. So but if you're using one of the four major right. <laughs> programs, then we'll be able to have AI listen to the calls and diagnose how the lead manager did and how good of a seller lead this is. Mm -hmm. It's powerful. Right. I don't think there's any reason not to use it. So um, so on Facebook, Victoria McKenzie, 
uh, asking this is early partner call when did you start flipping and at what point good question so i have always been a small scale well so in my previous company we were heavy flippers i mean i think we did like two or three wholesales a year basically everything else was flips I have always been a cherry pick flipper since. So I think I capped out at eight homes at a time uh, and have probably averaged closer to three or four homes at a time. So I did my first flip probably first of 2018, maybe even end of 2017. So pretty early. Yeah. Um, um, you enjoy it? Um, I don't hate it, but that's because I do it. Like some people like hate the idea of flipping. I do it small scale. I have great construction crews that i've had for quite a while and i'm minimally involved like i walk it at the start and i don't even i, I do this at this part now because i want to more than because i have to because i like the creative element of it i'll walk it at the start say do this and then i walk it at the end and say good job here's your check that's awesome um and yep. i've got a, i actually don't even i'm a realtor but i don't sell my own houses haven't for a long time i've got a realtor that sells them the whole process goes pretty smooth so i because like it it's not relying on you Right, right. But, you know, that took effort to build and plenty of failures and frustrations. Yeah. I mean, I've got a contractor that, you know, I trusted too much and I paid most of the way to, I think there was one where I'd paid, uh, you know, th this is the early lessons that you learn, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I think I'd paid him 110% of what his bid was and he was through demo, right? Uh, and then he took, he actually wound up going to jail for non-related charges i lost money on that house so now i've had my fair share of construction fun uh yeah. and lessons learned the hard way and things like that but at this point it runs it runs pretty smooth i like yeah it. well my hat's off to you i can't do it for me it's the it's just more people to manage right i want to manage as few people as possible which you wouldn't know it walking around here but <laughs> i saw a lot of faces <laughs> yeah but i want to manage as few as people as possible all right so uh instagram uh Nav passion what do you do become a professional sprinter? <laughs> All right, we're gonna skip that question. Uh, Lotto. <laughs> Not listen to me, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't get paid to sprint, so I can't say I'm a professional sprinter, but I wouldn't be opposed to it. Uh, so Lotto on YouTube, how can having a real estate license become benefit when negotiating deals that you would like to keep? Okay. So I think so that might be a question of transparency or, you know. Yeah, so, um, I'm licensed. I like being that way. I feel like there's nothing that you can't do as a licensed person. Uh, like, you know, people say, oh, there's too much regulation if you're, uh, a real, if you're a realtor and doing this, right? My feeling is if you can't do it as a realtor, you probably shouldn't be doing it whether you're a realtor or not. Yeah. Like we try really hard to be the professionals and the good guys. And being realtors, and I mean, all my acquisition managers are realtors as well. Oh, they're all licensed? Mm -hmm. My disposition manager, all my relationship managers are licensed. I pay for like nine licenses i think and we haven't yeah. i think uh one of my relationship managers just listed his mom's house right like wait we don't use our licenses much for traditional real estate but i feel like it helps because you know it, it plays to our persona which is we're the professionals yeah. we're you know we're licensed we're we're the big guys in the room and we're we're here to do things at a higher level yeah and i think going to your point right anyone that says don't get licensed like what are you trying to do that you can't do without a license. Right. Or that, what, what, what are you trying to do that having a license precludes you from doing? Right. Yeah. Uh, all right. So Stephen A on YouTube, what questions are wholesalers not asking themselves when it comes to transitioning their side hustle into a business? So if they're doing this on the side right now, what questions should they be asking themselves before they turn into a business? I mean, I think 
the question I'd be asking myself is what exactly does this need to look at mm-hmm. before I'll make it happen full time, right? Yeah. Like what, what are my, what's my exact number that, that I'm okay with and then go and then figure out what are the steps between Gary Keller calls it setting goals to the now, mm-hmm. right? You set the goal. This is what it needs to look like. What are all the steps along the way? And then just focus on taking that one step at a time until you yeah. get there. So, yeah, and I think it's great. And this is actually something that, uh, you know who Russell Shaw is? Mm. He's one of the biggest dogs in Phoenix on the, on the traditional side. And I remember I was in a session with him. He said, look, if you just write down right now what you want your business to look like in three years, just take five to ten minutes and describe it. And you can spend the five to ten minutes just describing it. Now you can break down what you need to do Yeah, to get there. Have, right. Yeah, so exactly what you said, just said in a different way. Uh, Peyton Burks on YouTube, what was your first hires in order to scale? Uh, and if you start over, what would be those same hires? So what were your first hires? And would, the, would those be the same first hires today? Great. So I started with a, um, I think my first one was actually someone to help me with cold calling back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, virtual assistant, then lead manager, uh, acquisition and project manager at the same time, uh, bookkeeper in there. Uh, that one is another one of those very underrated positions. Mm-hmm. If you want to be good in this business and if you want there, it, I'm amazed how many people don't know what their net is and don't right. know their books. Uh, everything that that's one thing that I constantly preach as well is know what your net profit is and make decisions around net profit yeah. rather than just around gross number of transactions, deals, et cetera. And really you can only do that with a good bookkeeper. Um, I think a lot of us are spoiled because I experienced it on the realtor side and I experienced it on the wholesaler side. Yeah. The reason why we can get away with it, and it's not a good reason, but the reason we can get away with it is because we're in a very high margin business. Right. And high margins cover up a lot of mistakes. Right. But when you look at those numbers every month, it's amazing how many things you see. Mm -hmm. uh, And it's amazing how different it is than what you think it is. If there's one thing I've learned from being <laughs> religious and looking at KPIs and books and everything else, it's amazing how even still, how often I think it's something's a certain way mm-hmm. and it's different. Right. And so one of the best things you can do for everyone listening, hiring a bookkeeper is that you get to keep more of <laughs> your money, <laughs> which is more fun, I think. Um, and then would those be the same hires if you were to order, if you were to start over today? One thing I would do different, and Gary Harper finally convinced me of this, I would have hired the integrator much earlier mm-hmm. rather than building it entirely myself. I would have and playing visionary and integrator and in all businesses I'm doing going forward, integrator is if not the first hire, very close to the first. Yeah. And then one thing I would challenge you on, right. Is if I were to talk to 2017, 18, Jason is don't hire a cold caller in the beginning. Uh, I see a lot of people and you never talked about this. See a right. lot of people try to hire cold callers up front and how are you going to get good? Right. And that, that cold caller left me. Mm-hmm. And then, like I was talking about before, I took Brent Daniels' thousand seller challenge. You mm-hmm. shouldn't hire a cold caller until you've talked to a thousand sellers because you're not going to be able to manage it. You're not going to be able to understand it until you've done that. So I, I learned that lesson after uh, that very first one that didn't work out. Like so, a great entrepreneur. That's right. <laughs> but Let's really, learn. like, I've got, you know, my, my path to success is full of countless little failures like that. You know, the, the, my definition of a successful person is just a persistent failure. Yeah. Just a failure who keeps, keeps trying and keeps going. Yep. Keep tripping and getting back up. 
uh, Billy on YouTube, how are you selling the properties at 80% of 80 plus percent of ARV, which, you know, we were talking about earlier, here's how you measure if you're good at this point or not. So this just scratched to 80%. How were you for a whole month selling for hundred percent of ARV? <laughs> Uh, I was finding sellers, or I was finding buyers that were very happy to bank on appreciation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, as, and honestly, as long as they flipped the houses fast enough, some of them were okay. I mean, and here's another thing about my market. We just barely got open door. Um, by just barely, I think they've been around a year. They're the only iBuyer. We don't have a whole lot of hedge funds or things like that. So by and large, this is just traditional Count your blessings. Yes, yes. <laughs> more, more are coming. Yes, you're in Phoenix. Uh, <laughs> counting my blessings. Um, so um it's i mean this is i could do a whole podcast on this it's everything Mm -hmm. you know and really the the secret to anything that i'm good at or even anything that like my competition is better at than i'm at is just consistently getting one percent better at every day at something you know find something at minimum viable product state Mm -hmm. and roll it out and then get a little bit better every single day that that's what drives me is and and i i try to do that with every aspect of my business and i feel like most people assumed that they were good at dispositions and didn't need to worry about it and so kind of forgot about it right mm-hmm. but for me i found little ways to get better at dispositions and it's it's a hundred little things that i do right like i've uh in one other part in investor machine is i have that a whole big training library mm-hmm. where i go through every aspect of the business and say hey here's a big breakdown of how to do this aspect of the business at the highest level. I've got a whole like hour and a half one just on dispositions in there. And I go through in that every different little thing that I do and the deal that caused me to get an extra 10, 20, 30, 40 grand because I went and did that one thing, right? And it's things like I do Matterport tours on every wholesale email that I send out. Um, some people just take No one does Matterport tours. No one does, right. It's not common, right? Yeah. But when I have that random guy who's in California or that random person who really needs a flip, but they're in the Bahamas on vacation and they're like, Oh, I need a flip now. I can look through this one. Uh, great. Okay. Yep. Let's do it. I'm going to buy this one because Mm -hmm. I can buy it there. Maybe one in 10, 20, the other ones, it's a total waste of money. Mm -hmm. Right. But for that one, I made an extra 10, 20, 30 grand. It was worth it. I got, and I just have, I have a ton of little things like that, that I do. Um, I will, you know, if a home is trashed or smelly or whatever, I will buy it, clean it out, get it clean, ready to go, and then I'll sell it that way. I did two houses back to back that were like that. And this was a perfect example because it was the same seller, the same end buyer offered me five grand a piece for each of them. Hmm. Um, And these things smelled. He told me I owed him lunch because he took a step in and a step out and lost his lunch, right? (laughs) And so I owed him that lunch. Mm -hmm. Uh, But... I bought it, fully cleaned it out, and then wound up, uh, and I mean, I literally had to have like meth remediators come in and clean this thing. They cleaned it like 18 times. The smell was finally gone. I sold those same two houses and made over 100 grand on those two. Yeah. Right? So the the answer is so many little things. Um, But each of those little things, just just set a goal of I'm going to do this with excellence, and I'm going to figure out how to get 1% better, and I'm going to slowly implement new ideas. And then you start to see the results. That's how Investor Machine came to be and why we get the results we get in mail. That's why I disposition the way I do. That's why I do all of the things that I do. And have a great team to help yes. do it as well. Uh, Lado on YouTube, uh, do, you have any, do you have your acquisitions guys dispo as well? I do not. 
So, but again, keep in mind, I'm, I'm fairly large. Uh, I'm at, I, I'm doing this at scale. So my acquisition guys are just focused on acquisitions. I actually have my, um, a disposition manager, an assistant disposition manager, who's the one that goes and does all of the Matterport tours. And then I have three relationship managers. These are guys that are constantly networking, becoming friends with other investors in the space for them to A, bring us deals to co-wholesale, but B, for them to buy our deals. Mm -hmm. So when I send out a deal, I send it out with each of my three guys' names instead of just one disposition manager's name, and I make them all compete to see who's the one that's going to sell it, and the person that sells it is the one that gets paid a commission based on the sell. So they're all fighting against each other to sell for the top dollar. So no, I do not have them cross over. Um, and Peyton wants to know, what would be the first few key factors at mastering hiring? First few, first few key factors. So number one, know what you're looking for before you hire for it. You know, Alice in Wonderland, Cheshire Cat story. Uh, she walks up and says, hey, which way should I go? And he says, where are you looking to go? She says, I don't know. And he says, you can go either way. <laughs> Very true of hiring. If you're yeah. just hiring someone waiting to feel good about them, not good. Mm -hmm. Start with... So I tried to build a business based off of the book, um, The E-Myth Revisited. Mm -hmm. So the goal is you want to build like a franchisable business. You have cooks, you have cashiers, you have people, and you have, role, you, know, you have specific roles, and then you want to hire the people to fill those roles, not vice versa. Not, oh, I have this person, I really like this person, and so I'm going to go create a role around this person. It's these are the roles and I hire people to fill those roles. So the okay. first thing that I would do is I would build out and understand what are the roles that I need, who and what exactly am I looking for. Here's my quick tip number two. The lowest form and way of hiring is buying homes off, is, and what I would call equal to buying homes off the MLS is hiring people off of Wise Hire, Indeed, ZipRecruiter, whatever website you want to use. This is 2021, hard to get people that way. The best people you're going to get are going to be through networking, Facebook posts, someone that you know, someone that someone that you know knows. Um, lean much harder into that type of hiring. Uh, one thing Keller Williams teaches to do is to literally cold call, like pull out a list of 50 people that are most likely to um, want to be with and support you. Like the people that like would most likely want to help you call them and say, hey, I'm looking for this person. Who do you know that I should talk to? Keep yeah. them on the phone until they give you two or three people. Call them, see if they might be willing to make a move. Yeah. That type of hiring is what gets you good quality A players. And even people that work for you, assuming you have A players that work mm -hmm. for you, incentivize them to find other A players. When I was in building phase of Creation Utah, when, when we had our wildly important goal from four disciplines of execution, we had the revenue goal and we had the build out the team goal. So I actually had like an org chart. In order for us to win at the end of the corner and get quarter and get our incentives, we had to hit X in revenue, and this org chart had to be filled out. And there was like blank names highlighted on there. And once all those names were full, and once we got the revenue, then everybody got their rewards and everything else. And when I did that, people were far more incentivized to give me great referrals of people. Ah, so it's a team support. That's right. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else is there. Um... Ethan, the connect Instagram, any tips after you get a couple of deals, how to turn that into an actual system. I think we kind of talked about that already. Um, fallen gamer, any advice on list pulling? He's in Dallas. Uh, a lot of advice on list pulling. 
Um, I mean, that, that's kind of, you know, if, the, if there's anything in, if there's anything that I specialize in, it's list pulling. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it would be go straight to the source, um, and try to get items directly from the, the county, the courthouse, uh, you know, um, classified ads. I mean, we'll even look at like estate sales, uh, things like that. Yeah. I would say go deep with great records. And, you know, it's interesting, great, because we use an investor machine, and we have PropStream. Mm-hmm. And PropStream is great. It's just not as fast right. as investor machine, because you guys get it directly from the source. Mm-hmm. So by the time I was on PropStream, there's a lot of competition. Right. By the time, yes, that is a lot of competition. And, and in many cases, it's already sold. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing I know from being fairly deep in the data space, if there's one area where PropStream is least accurate, it's on recent buys and sells. Yeah. So... That it, it, it's, it's worse than that. Uh, it, it's even worse than what you think because not only did you miss it, but you're also wasting time, effort, and energy and money marketing to it, even yeah. though you already missed it, right? <laughs> I mean, it'd be one thing to just miss it. It's another thing to be putting all of the time, effort, and energy into marketing to it. It's pouring salt in the woods. Right. Arafat <laughs> um, on YouTube, how do I tell the address of the wholesale property to the cash buyer? Before I get proof of funds, or it's better to have the address after seeing a proof of funds from the buyer. So if you're trying to sell the property, do you disclose the address? I guess, ask another way. If you're the blast of property, yeah. we're dispositioning the property, is the address in the email blast? There is, yeah. So for me, it's with our whole process. So mm-hmm. we, we're pretty upfront. Again, we try to be the good guys. We try to be the professionals. We're pretty upfront with our sellers on what we're doing, mm-hmm. right? Like, we're not going in and saying, we're going to flip your house, and we have... 30 contractors that are going to come through at the same time on Tuesday, but we're only going to flip your house. Right. Uh, so, um, because of that, we just, and we, we overall trust our buyers Mm -hmm. process everything else. And so, yeah, we, we, your buyers are screened. This is not a buyer that you pulled off of a Facebook post, right? When you're email blasting, these are vetted buyers that you're blasting. I would say not really. No? No. I mean, it's, it's a big list. I mean, we're, we're constantly adding people. Now, that said, you know, in order for someone to know when they can walk through the house, mm-hmm. they have to get on the phone with us. But yes, I mean, we do send it out to a list, and we do risk somebody trying to go around behind us and things like that. But in all of the deals I've done, it's almost never happened. Um. So I will say, you know, probably a little bit of a limiting belief. Like, you can... You can share the address of the property and everything else. And it's pretty rare when it doesn't work out. Yeah. Do you agree? Uh, well, we've had someone like screw us. It costs us money. Like we still close on it. Right. right. Yeah. But, because here's the thing. You're in the right. All yeah. that happens when someone does it is it winds up worse for the seller mm-hmm. and can turn into be, you know, a longer legal process and everything right. else. But in the end, you still buy the house. Yes. Um, and, you know, I've seen, I've done some, I mean, I'm working on a, co-wholesale right now with someone that brought me a deal we're going through that exact same thing i just helped him move one where we went through the thing where he went through that a while ago like you you still wind up with the house right in the end but it's not fun uh so in salt lake uh treehouse wants to know how big is that list that you're pulling uh what list the everything you're pulling from from the county great question so we're a little different so this is the way we build the list on investor machine I buy every record in the whole county. So, like I said, every single person that owns property in there. 
and then we find every motivation point that can be found anywhere. We score every aspect of the property on a scale of five to zero. And then we take that county and sort it from the first person you'd sell to, to the last person you'd sell to. We do pull in prop stream motivation points as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, you know, anything that you can find online plus anything that you can find directly at the courthouse. So the answer is it's everything that's recorded at courthouse, at county, at random newspaper sites, you know, anything that can be found most, most anywhere. And it, but we layer it in with the specific score of the property as well. Um, run it through our algorithm, and that's what sees the magic. The, that's where the magic happens. And Alexis Adams wants to know on Facebook, how often are you marketing to the same list? Great question. So we take the best of the list. So basically, if we can find three or more stacked motivation points, and we will hit them every 30 days. I mean, these are, these are good people. They got, they're delinquent on their taxes, and they're a probate, and it's an absentee home, mm-hmm. right? Those people, we feel like we hit them every 30 days. If people have two or less, based on budget, how much you want to spend, we hit the best of the list every 60 days. And we will hit them until they tell us to stop, they die, or they sell the property. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Rudy Guerrero on YouTube, do you use realtor contracts for all your transactions? I do. Yep. So um, I use the official real estate purchase contract um, because I'm a realtor. And then Treehouse on Instagram, how do you invest in real estate now? It's funny because you and I just did a TikTok video. <laughs> That's true. About Airbnb. So how do you invest in real estate now? Uh, so mo- basically everything I flip right now, I wind up keeping as a rental. I either keep it as an Airbnb or as a traditional rental. Um, I also have invested in a couple of syndications. So if you flip well. it, you're keeping it? Basically everything at this point. Okay. And then syndications, what, talk more about that. So basically a syndication is somebody else, one of our friends from Collective Genius is buying, fixing up and selling a 50 unit apartment complex. The bank will lend up to 80% of the purchase mm-hmm. price. They need the other 20% and the repairs done. And for that, they give you equity in the deal. Mm-hmm. So you get a bunch of depreciation up front, and it usually winds up a 15 to 20% interest rate. And it's the closest thing to passive income that I'm aware of. Yeah, it's nuts the opportunities we have because of the friends we have, because of the masterminds we're in. 100%. They're, uh, they're not inexpensive, but the value is 100% there on masterminds. Yeah. Uh, so Lado, again, on YouTube, how do you compensate your project manager? My project manager specifically. Mm-hmm. So my project, I don't know that I'm the perfect one to ask this question for because my project manager is uh, focused between, my project manager is my dad, uh, who, is a, uh, who is a senior software developer at United Health Group, but got through college on remodeling houses. Uh, and things like that. So he's familiar with that stuff. So he oversees the few contractors, mm-hmm. uh, but spends most of his time helping me build the software that runs Investor Machine. So <laughs> I'm just going to say I'm not the best one to ask that question to because <laughs> unless you're planning on hiring your dad and having him be 80% software developer and 20% project manager, I don't have a repeatable solution. Or Jason's dad. <laughs> <laughs> not, fun hiring Jason's not dad. an option. <laughs> um, so what are disclosures that you use to cover your, uh, your rear with the vision of real estate? 
So I'm actually a pretty good person to ask this question to. And I will say every state's a little bit different, mm-hmm. but we had a solid year where me and Cody and Clay Rock were, were all very tied in with the Utah Division of Real Estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, here's, here's the biggest, most important one. So d- disclosure is the right word, because as long as everything's disclosed, it's totally fine. So I disclose I'm a realtor. Obviously, you have to do that. I disclose, I also disclose when I'm marketing, sending out a wholesale email that I'm a realtor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I disclose that uh, I am a wholesale property buyer and that the offer that I'm giving them is not fair market value. Uh, I also typically will have them sign something called a for sale by owner agreement, which says, hey, I'm a realtor. You're not. You don't owe me a commission. I am representing myself. Uh, you don't have representation and you're fine with all of that. Mm-hmm. That's basically it. Yep. All the same things exactly that I do. Because <laughs> yeah. the last thing you want to do is get dragged in front of the board. I have been there. It's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun. Uh, most of those things, uh, a lot of those questions. Uh, so I got fined for not using the real estate purchase contract and not doing, not disc- what uh, I forgot to include my brokerage picture on one wholesale email. That was what started it and then i hadn't done the real estate purchase contract and a few other little disclosures and things like that i got actually hit my with my first violation monday really my very first one ever in my entire career and it was for failure to managing one of my realtors who's <laughs> wholesaling darn it right? and it wasn't like he did anything wrong he did everything i told him to do turns out everything i told him to do was not necessarily correct got it so technically i was in the wrong but i was looking at it i was like i made an honest mistake but mm. got hit with my first violation of my career in 14 years. Congrats on making it 14 years. <laughs> Thank you. I made it that far. I wish it was the first time, you know, I've been sued multiple times, but that was the first <laughs> violation. Uh, Treehouse again on Instagram. Uh, where are you finding your buyers? Um, all over. Um, so fa- Facebook groups is one of them. Networking groups is another. I have uh, a well SEO'd website has a lot of people come through honestly one of the best ways to do it is when you have deals have an easy way for people to join your list Mm -hmm. like if they click on any pictures or anything else because it's amazing how many buyers come from my existing buyers forwarding an email to somebody else and then have them be added onto the list as well so uh let's just say that again in a different way how do we have it so you email blast Mm -hmm. they forward it that person that receives the forwarded email clicks on that email yep and from there there's a pop up no if they click on any pictures so like i have almost i have a lot of the things on there mm-hmm. as a hyperlink to signing up for the list as well as big wording on there that says hey if you were forwarded this would love to have you sign up directly and then just and i will say like most of my list growth has come organically plus time hmm. which has worked because in my opinion the most important part of your wholesale list is not the size of your list. I mean, again, I have the national database, right? I can go pull a list of everybody who's bought an absentee home mm. with cash in Utah, and I can have 40,000 cash buyers like that. And I, can, and I can skip trace them all, get all their emails and start spamming them, right? Mm. What matters is how many engaged buyers do you have on your list? I'm constantly tracking what was my open rate, what was my click rate, you know, how many people are actually going and taking and looking at this? And we try to sit between 30 and 40% are you, of everybody that we send emails to. And then click rate being like uh, 8 to 12%. So they opened it and they actually looked at the Matterport. They looked at the photos. They looked at 
you know. Are you actively else. calling your list then? Huh? Yeah, I've got. Uh, that's what the three relationship managers do. Got it. Um, Pace Marby says hi on Instagram. Hi, Pace. Um, how are you determining this from Warner on Facebook? How are you determining if you're flipping or uh, to keep or wholesaling? Again, so there's some answers where I feel like I've got a good answer, and some answers where it's what works for me, but not necessarily for everybody. So the answer is I do it entirely based off of when one of my three construction crews is ready for a next house. (laughs) Um, So when one of my, I again, 149 deals, I have a decent amount of volume. Every every week I've got a few more coming in, and when I'm getting close to a construction crew ready, as long as it's a light remodel and you know the type of home that I would want to keep then that gets moved over into uh, I, I like ideally for the homes to only sit for like a week or two mm-hmm. beforehand and then have them go jump on and start the next house otherwise they're cycling through sometimes i'll have a home that i just fall in love with that i want to keep that i'll let sit a little longer than that but yeah. um that's that's it if i were not me um right now construction like if, if i was just an average like person not following my same thought process here would be my governing rules one of the one of the resources that i don't think people give enough credit to is how much construction man hours that i mean that's if i had one most limited resource it's construction man hours Mm -hmm. and in this market it's incredibly difficult to come up with construction man hours so um i i would focus in on light remodels to flip the carpet paint lipstick stuff not your more major remodels because you know, if you can only flip so many, and if you make a whole bunch more on flips, the more you can flip, the more you're going to make. Focus on the light remodels in good neighborhoods. You know, the the no brainer stuff. You get to if you're a wholesaler, you get to be a cherry picker. So cherry pick. Yeah, um, and that is the best thing about being a wholesaler. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Andrew Aaron, if they wanted to copy your business model, how would they do that? Uh, the Utah one. Uh, just your business model. Period. Um, uh, so, I mean, do everything that I said in here. Um, I mean, it, it's kind of the start of when you ask the question, right. um, start one marketing channel at a time, hire people in that order and really focus on hiring. I mean, honestly, most of my success has come from hiring good people, setting up good systems and getting out of their way. Yeah. Um, so that, that's really important. Like, Get good at hiring, get good at, you know, leading, setting up pretty good systems and get good at, get good at getting out of your great people's way and helping them feel appreciated and want to stay. And I think that's one thing that you and I have in common is that we've got amazing people mm-hmm. and it might help that because we have the same idol. Right. Darren right. Hardy. Darren Hardy. We just, We're both in the leadership training. Yeah. <laughs> both in leadership training, both in the productivity training. Yep. Uh, I, I imagine you listen to Darren Daly. Of course. Right? So my poor kids, they have to listen to it with me every single morning. Is that the guy with the annoying voice? Yeah, that's... <laughs> they know the music. The, yes. They, they know the music, and they have to participate, and I quiz them after everyone, like, what did you learn from it? And I think that is a testament, though, like, if you can build your business the right way, it's... If, if there's one thing you can do to build your business the right way, is the right people. Right. Now, I will also add is uh, Investor Machine, theinvestormachine.com slash Steve, um, you also record all your processes for all your investor machine clients. Correct. Right. Yes. So. In, in there is a training manual for, I take every aspect of the business and spend an hour and a half on it. There's an hour and a half on lead management. There's an hour and a half on dispositions. 
an hour and a half on acquisitions. There's an, a, everything. Yeah. So there's also that, right? <laughs> right. Um, but if you guys don't want to do that, then what he said earlier. Uh, and then Kelly Ventura wants to know what measures have you taken to automate this position so that suddenly cash buyers is continuously a smooth process, if a smooth process is possible. Uh, I mean, I feel like that comes back to a lot of the stuff that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. And it also comes back to having great people. Um, I mean, I have a, uh, I mean, it, I don't have any like magical cool softwares in this regard. Like, I mean, it's, it's Google Sheets and MailChimp, right? <laughs> um, so one, okay, so I'll give one cool takeaway uh that that i think would be that 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 has made a huge difference for me in automating things so um i have one of my favorite things that i've ever come up with is my submit offer button so it's just a google form i actually um put it into the my uh website myself all it is is a google form and i have people answer uh, um their name what their offer is, what the address is. Uh, I ask them, have any of, is there, are you 100% sure done? Like there's no due diligence left. And I actually have a disclaimer on there that says, if you still need 24 hours of due diligence or something, let me know. It doesn't disqualify you. It's less than ideal, but you may not tell me your due diligence is all the way done and then come back and tell me you need a little bit of due diligence. I also ask them, have any have all of your money partners seen and approved? Because there's nothing worse than uh, having someone say, yeah, I'm 100% in, and then you find out that he's got some guy behind him that's lending him all of the purchase price and the rehabs, and, and then he takes a look at it, and he's like, I'm not, lend- I'm not lending that much for that property. And yeah. they're like, yeah, I don't actually have a dollar to my name. I just thought this guy would go for it. <laughs> um, that's where I said I asked them what they think the property uh, is worth and what the rehabs are. And then I asked them what date they would ideally like to close and what date would be the soonest they could close. And I will say that has saved so much time, effort, and energy trying to find all that stuff in emails, making, you know, going on assumptions. Oh, the other one I ask is, do you have a realtor you need to pay? Right. There's nothing worse than I take this offer. Um, and then, uh, had to pay a commission. And then they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, you have to pay this person a commission. So my net's really less than your other buyer that you already told that they were out. Yeah. So I, add, I ask all of those questions. Uh, and it, it definitely has made the disposition process much smoother because it's just then it's just looking at a Google sheet mm-hmm. of all of the offers lined up. You can take and sort them by order. You know, everybody's right there and you know all the information that you would need to know. And I will tell you, oh, this is the other question that I asked them that was is super valuable. I say, tell me about your financing. Is it all cash? Is it 80% or less? Uh, Or is it uh, borrowing 80% or more? Mm -hmm. And when the pandemic hit in May of last year, those people that were borrowing more than 80% of the purchase price were, were gone. Right. They were eliminated, right? They, they couldn't buy houses anymore because no one was lending more. You could still get two and 12, 80% of purchase price money, but any money other than that right after the pandemic was gone. So for the homes that we wholesaled, I told the relationship managers, hey, here's a list of people that can buy with cash. Or I actually knew from my list. These are people that have offered on our properties before that have the means to continue to offer. We got every single one of them on the phone. And uh, every time we got a deal, we focused in heavy on those people. And my numbers did not drop in terms of percentage of what we wholesaled for 
right after the pandemic. And most of those deals we sold with one offer. Yeah. Like now you've got like 30, 40 hours, but like we squeaked it out with one offer, one offer, one offer. So that was, there you go. There's a, that, there's that a was nugget. a huge win in that period of time. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of also wants to know what market metrics are important for you to select a market. But before we talk about that, you're only in Salt Lake. I'm only in Salt Lake. And have you ever wandered? I have not. Um, investor machine is my wander. We're nationwide. Okay. I'm in all markets there. And at this point, my only intention for being in other markets is to help other people achieve their goals in other markets instead of me. I think most people can do more than what they think they can in their own market <laughs> and that the grass is always greener on the other side in another market. But I've known many, a great investor smarter than me that went to another market and came back with their tail between their legs. But Jason, you don't understand my market's harder than yours. Uh, that's probably true. Uh, not that Salt Lake isn't hard, but you are in Phoenix. There's not a whole lot of people that uh, you can have that. But uh, Salt Lake comes with its own incredible challenges mm -hmm. as well. I mean, I was just talking to Brandon Bateman, PPC guy. Uh, he was on here a little bit ago. Mm -hmm. he, great. I highly suggest him. Uh, he was saying of all the markets he's in, he has a harder time in Salt Lake than almost any other market, just in terms of cost per click and everything else. It's it's competitive and everybody, it, it all comes down to your mindset, your view, your overall abundance. Yeah. There's value in every market. And I think you also share with me, that was Andy McFarland was the other one, uh -huh. like the two best PPC guys in the country. Yes. Or Salt Lake. Yes, correct. <laughs> and I've hit both of them up multiple times to help me. And I refer people to both of them. Uh, and I'm still left outside. <laughs> um, so what is your biggest struggle then? today with everything you got going on? I will say I've reached a point where like in continuing to level up the quality of like for, for me to continue to get to higher and higher levels is higher and higher levels of staff that I need to be able to add. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm not getting to bring on as many like for, for the growth that I'm looking for, I'm not getting to bring on as many entry level people. Right. So making that move into getting people that have had careers and that really, you know, know what they're doing making the switches and everything else like bringing on like coos integrators high level developers things like that that's my that's my challenges now and i completely agree yeah <laughs> because some of my most recent hires have been some of the most expensive hires right me too but also the right hires like i absolutely need them because i can't do my crazy, you know, the, the, the BHAG, right? Or right. the, was it, is it, is it the wig? Wig, wig big, hairy, audacious, audacious goal. Darren Hardy says it, but he doesn't originate with him. It originates yeah. with um, the Jim Collins book. Good to great. Good to great. I think it originates with good to great. Mm -hmm. But the wig, right? The, the wildly wig. important yep. goal uh, from four disciplines 40 of execution, yeah. right? Is I can't hit my goals with the people Without. that are entry level. I need world-class people right. in all seats. Right. Uh, so then, with that being your biggest struggle today, how are you dealing with that? Is it just spending more money or like what is? It's digging down on everything that I said before yeah. about hiring. Um, just made some good progress in the Utah company. Got some good, you know, high level experienced people uh, and am constantly working on the same in investor machine company. So I would say it's the struggle, but it's not something that's necessarily going poorly mm -hmm. right now, but it's the big struggle right now yeah it's the hardest thing to do yeah what is your superpower i would say probably setting up and maintaining good systems to make things happen if, if i had a if i had a superpower it's probably that as well as 
finding, retaining, and keeping happy really good talent. Um, yeah, I would say that's probably, if I had superpowers, it'd be those. And what is the greatest lesson that you have learned? Probably what I said earlier, successful people are persistent failures. Go, uh, it, it's a combination of start with a minimum viable product, get out of analysis paralysis. Don't, you know, we, we had a guy once that was building a CRM for us at the last company that built, uh, he built this CRM for like a year, basically. And every time we came up, oh, I came up with something else I wanted to do. It could be so cool. This, 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 this. We'd, I think we wound up spending six figures on the guy and never got a CRM, right? Because it just kept got bigger, cooler. It's not ready yet. It's got to be able to do these things in whatever it is. Go get a minimum viable product. Go take max of action. And then go figure out how to get 1% better every day. Yeah. And you're going to be able to achieve everything you want. Go read Darren Hardy's The Compound Effect. Mm-hmm. But, it, but it's two parts. One, you have to get started. There has to be a point where you're like, okay, this is good enough. Minimum viable product. And then two, then go make it better consistently. And I would say that's probably another superpower. I, have, I feel like I have a good ability to look at something mm-hmm. and then figure out what the next percentages need to be for it to continue to get better. Got it. Is there a book you've gifted more than any other? Living Your Best Year Ever. Got is it. My, is my most gifted book. Um, I also have gifted quite a few times The Rhythm of Life by Matthew Kelly. That's probably not a commonly one. Yeah, I haven't I read that one. It's really, really good. It's by a uh, Catholic guy. Has some religious elements to it, but is, it's, it's all about pursuing and becoming the best version of yourself. One of the most influential books I've ever read. I highly suggest it. Oh, all right. I'll have to check that one out. Uh, think about what you want to leave the listeners with. I'll make a, just a couple of quick announcements. Uh, guys, if you guys are interested in the investor machine, it's theinvestormachine.com slash Steve. If you want to get on our wait list for lead manager training, it's disruptors.com slash lead manager. Um, and I'm still trying to give away $10,000. Apparently, my money is not good. It doesn't <laughs> spend. But if you guys are interested in trying to win $10,000, it's stevetrainmoney.com. Um, and then please like, subscribe, share, comment, because the more you tell the algorithms this is good content, the more people we can actually impact. What, um, oh, and we got Luke Rotfold coming in next week. Uh, what would you like to leave the listeners with? Um, I would say this, um, kind of a summary of a lot of what, of what we've said. Uh, pursue excellence in all that what you do. Get 1% better work towards becoming the best version of yourself. Um, be authentic in what you do, and people will recognize that. Have multiple solid streams of marketing. Uh, focus a lot on hiring and taking good care of your people. Um, and you know, find those tweaks within the company to be able to consistently get better. Uh, data lists are really important in what you do. Yeah. Um, especially with as competitive as things are now. Uh, but this business still works. Keep an abundant mindset. Uh, I think, you know, it'll, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next few months, even to a year in the market. But regardless, like this business works in all market cycles. And then lastly, track your net. Uh, that's the, in my opinion, net, your net income plus how your net worth increases is the ultimate score that you should know. I mean, in the end, that's why we're all doing this, right. is to make money. And what you don't want to do is realize that you worked for an entire year and all you did was 
pay a bunch of bills and you hit your goal and you're so proud. You flipped 100 homes and you paid a lot of salaries and things like that. But in the end, you made nothing. Yeah. No. And, and I've been there, right? First many years of my business, <laughs> that was me because I didn't I wasn't tracking. Yeah. Uh, how can someone get a hold of you? Um, probably best is uh, you've got my Facebook link on there. Shoot me a message on mm-hmm. Facebook. You've got my Instagram on, on there as well. Those yeah. would be. Yeah, so we'll have that in the show notes on your Facebook and your Instagram, right? Yep. Is that what you said? And then... Um, and unlike Steve, I don't have 5,000 friends yet, so you can still friend me. <laughs> and then, yeah, make sure you use that link because you're not the only Jason Lewis. That's true. Uh, <laughs> not even close. <laughs> All right, thank you very much. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you guys for watching.